and welcome to Manage Self Lead Others podcast. My name is Pip Savaris and today we're going to be talking about psychological safety with the host of the podcast, Nina Sunday. Hi Pip and thanks for uh, being with us today and I'm looking forward to the topic about leading people and making sure there's psychological safety. So let's get started. My first question is what is psychological safety? Well, when we're talking about psychological safety, when I talk about psychological safety, I'm not really talking about the two negative ends of the continuum, if you like, which and the the far end is bullying and the further along is mental health. I'm really talking about a a, a very subtle uh, behaviour that that kind of swamps people in the sense that they don't feel they can have candor, they don't, they can't ask questions, they can't contribute ideas, uh, and it could be that maybe they've got a micromanaging uh, manager, or maybe they've even got a bullying manager that they just feel that if I say something, it's going to turn around and bite me uh, down the track. So it's best if I just keep my head down and say nothing, and that is the absolute antithesis of of teamwork and effectiveness. And it seems to be rife in the workplace. It's so important that people know the definition of psychological safety. So, yeah, we can understand when it exists, I guess, what are the benefits of that then? Hmm. Well, if I can just backtrack a little to how the term psychological safety came up, a Harvard professor coined the term in in the very late 90s uh, in in one of her books. And that kind of got the ball rolling. Then the next study that uh, was embarked upon was by the Google company and they named it Project Aristotle. They have a very uh, robust people lab there. And of course, they've got access to all the information in the world. They also had access to uh, over 100 of their own teams and they started looking at what attributes or qualities contributed to effective teamwork and what is it about the manager, what are the attributes of a manager that uh, contributed to engagement and effectiveness. So they they started off at surface level level, uh, qualities such as perhaps the education level of the manager uh, was a manager that had an MBA or, or management qualifications able to lead their teams better than perhaps a manager that came up through the ranks was more of an IT engineer. Uh, so they looked at that uh, difference. That didn't seem to yield any uh, any data. Then they started looking at maybe their uh, leadership style, uh, whether the, how meetings uh, were carried out, like. Some meetings, the the manager uh, plays a a very strong directive role and does most of the talking and only occasionally invites uh, comments as opposed to a more uh, ad hoc, freewheeling style where people are free to interrupt each other. So they did look at those two styles. That did yield some data. They also looked at things like um, similar interests or even socialising outside of work together because sometimes uh, there, there has been the opinion that the, the, the team that uh, plays together stays together. But that didn't seem to stand up to scrutiny when they looked at it. It didn't seem to create such a difference. So 
None of those really came up with any uh, distinctive uh, conclusions. So then they started looking at some of the unconscious behaviours and uh, norms and uh, ex expectations and expectations about, uh, around um, behaviours and, and practices. And they started to then realise that some groups were more socially sensitive to each other than others. So, for example, some people would be able to see that someone was a bit quiet or perhaps even maybe a little bit uh, upset. And instead of just ignoring it and going, well, we're just, they're just a, a work colleague, I won't uh, investigate, they'd actually ask, are you okay? Uh, is anything wrong? And it could be that they're actually going through a bit of a issue either at home, maybe uh, aged parents, maybe uh, adolescent teenagers, maybe they have to move house, uh, maybe they're going through a marriage breakup, anything could be happening. And unless the team is able to somewhat support, we're not talking about prying or, or getting uh, too involved, but be able to support and be aware that that's what's happening it seems to take a bit of that weight off the shoulder of the person that's suffering from that issue so socially sensitive means picking up the the non-verbal uh, cues if you like so it could be facial expression it could be whether they're not smiling today whereas most days they're a smiling sort of personality or being a bit short or impatient so they're picking up on different behaviors or even different difference in skin color and tone and and how they're holding their uh, their face and their body language those are subtle cues that only teams with high emotional intelligence or individuals with high emotional intelligence will pick up because emotional intelligence is all about being able to be reflective on what you say and also people's responses to what you say. So social sensitivity seemed to become one of the distinctive attributes of an effective team. Yeah. Then there was a second attribute. And it had to do with behaviour in team meetings and it would appear that it's very common in teams and I suspect our listeners will be able to um, uh, identify with this. In teams there tend to be the verbal fast talkers that seem to express their opinions with absolute confidence. Nothing can stop them. And what happens is the more reflective introvert members of the team might become so swamped that they actually don't share what they think. So, in fact, I've, uh, I've been uh, in, a, in a group meeting uh, where I heard a, a, a young man in his early 20s say, oh, yes, when I'm in meetings, when people sort of say their opinion really quickly and really confidently, I tend to not say anything because I think, well, they're so passionate about their opinion, they must be right. So people second-guess themselves and often that's where the, the insight and the wisdom comes from. In meetings, it's very important to be vocal if you have something to say because then it can stew over and you could talk about it with the colleagues but not the people who can actually make change. So it's very important. You're, what you're describing there is, is a, a very insidious, toxic behaviour. Some people call it white-anting, but when people say something negative 
away from the eyes and ears of, of, their, of their supervisors, they're actually creating internal politics. Um, they're creating negativity. And look, I, I, the only, one of the reasons I'm focusing on this is when I had a team of eight to ten people, I didn't know this stuff. I didn't understand that focusing on culture meant that that led to profitability. I thought that profitability came from focusing on results. And so when we engaged a management consultant to do what's called a 360-degree feedback, yes. when he revealed the, the, the results to me, he said his comment was, these are comments that people say, well, Nina has meetings with us, but she doesn't have meetings one-on-one -on -one with us. And so I've never really been game to say this. And then they'll say what they really think to him. So he revealed to me what they really thought. And that was a big eye-opener and it made me change my ways. We're talking 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. that, that management consultant changed my perception of I thought culture was about doing things together, socialising, uh, having uh, celebrating birthdays, celebrating Christmas together with a lunch. I thought that was culture. But, of course, I'd come from a culture, I'd come from a television channel where that was what the culture was. So I was really, you know, whispered down the lane. I was only doing what I'd been taught when I was with a really big bureaucracy. But they didn't really, at that time anyway, perhaps it's improved now, they didn't have a best practice culture. They had uh, people were surface level, level, polite and operating, but there was a lot of negativity that was expressed behind the supervisors, behind the managers, behind the leaders' backs. And leaders need to know what's truly happening. So, and... Here's my biggest tip on how to encourage psychological safety. I use this in uh, team meetings. Can you guess what this is? <laughs> the talking stick. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know me. You know it's a talking stick. This is just a stick. Look, a talking stick can be anything. Yeah. I'll tell you where I got this idea. Oh, uh, look, uh, I won't, I won't tell you where I got the idea was actually from some personal development workshops where they would hand the stick and the person who had the stick would uh, speak for two minutes uninterrupted and no one could say anything. That was their moment. And, of course, if you ever read Lord of the Flies, the novel by William Golding, they, uh, in that uh, particular culture that they created, the uh, boys who were, who were shipwrecked, they had the conch shell and whoever held the conch had the right uh, uh, of interrupted uh, uh, opinion expressing. But recently, a couple of years ago in the United States, when the United States Senate had an impasse between the Democrats and the Republicans, US Senator Susan Collins, she'd been given a talking stick from a, uh, a native culture in Africa and it was had beautifully beaded and was very colourful. And she used this in meetings to to free up conversation and to allow everybody to say what they think. And what's curious, I, the very first time I brought it out into a workshop, because we were doing a workshop on positive workplace culture, in a team that the manager who engaged me said, 
there's a lot of these problems that I've been explaining. Uh, the, the people that we want to hear from are, are zipping their lips in, uh, in, in workshops. The, uh, uh, there, there is a bit of a bully manager that kind of uh, makes people fearful to say what they think. I'm trying to open things up, but, you know, I have to work with other managers as well. And when I handed round the, the talking stick, people held it as if it was a microphone and it freed them up. And everybody had two minutes and it worked really well. So that is a tool that I can recommend that managers might want to try and give it a go. It's, but it's conversational equality mm -hmm. is the second attribute that the Google research of Project Aristotle discovered. Back on the point where you were talking about one-on-ones, the importance of one-on-ones is literally so important to make sure that everyone's on track, everyone feels good and confident because that then cultivates even more psychological safety within the workplace. And I feel confident to talk about it now because I made the mistake of not understanding the importance of one-on-ones, but I've learned from my mistake. And now, and it's also about making time because making time for a one-on-one -on -one and doing them frequently. See, you could call a performance review that happens every quarter a one-on-one. -on -one. Yes, it is, but it's generally accusatory, mm. perhaps with a bit of blame, where the manager has tick, kept a tally of all the, the misdemeanours and then all in one go says, you did this, you did this, you did this. And that's, that's a performance uh, review gone wrong. Yes. And what's now becoming best practice is scrapping performance reviews, having regular one-on-ones because fast feedback is really important. You, you give feedback the minute as soon as you observe the behaviour you want to shift. Don't uh, collate a little list that you then swamp people with that people walk out of the, uh, the meeting feeling oh, like horrible. They've been torn to shreds. Yeah. See, the days of the bully manager are numbered. Mm. Yes, definitely. And what's coming through is that organisations have to walk their talk when it comes to overarching purpose. And the organisations that focus on purpose and meaning, both for the wider community and for <laughs> team engagement, Profitability follows. Look after the purpose and profitability follows. Look after culture, profitability and results follow. Exactly. And I learned by my mistake. I've shifted my ways and I've never been happier. I've never been happier with my team and I feel confident my team is happier with me. And I invite candor. I invite people to ask questions. I think it's super important with that as well to be consistent with these things because work can sometimes get in the way, but having the consistent one-on-ones and meetings, but people have a bit of routine and schedule so that they know that, okay, all good, I've got the one-on-one, -on -one, that I can talk to them about this, that, and whatever. So I think that's really important as well. And there's more, more than one expert in leadership talks about the importance of starting the, uh, the day with a 10-minute, with a, a 20-minute minute huddle or scrum, yes. or whatever you want to call it. I remember I was uh, needed to get uh, an item from the Apple store before I uh, set up for a workshop. So I was there at 10 to 9, mm -hmm. ready for the start, 
And while I was uh, standing waiting for the doors to open, it was very interesting to see all the different huddles from all the small groups because uh, it was in Sydney the, the retail store is uh, full of glass. In the, uh, the, the front facade is glass so you can see right in. And there they were having their 10-minute huddle and they sort of finished with some sort of uh, physical uh, ritualistic, um, you know, hands up in the air or something just to indicate that was the end. And, of course, what's important is that sense of belonging. So by having starting the meeting, even if it's one-on-one, yeah. I start the meeting at a conference table where we talk about the priorities of the day. Mm-hmm. And as a manager, perhaps you are uh, aware of the, have a bigger picture awareness of the of the priorities because of course team members might choose to do tasks in the their order of preference but but perhaps shifting them to order of priority but unless you communicate that priority they won't know uh, uh, exactly they're not mind readers they won't know what's in your head but it does cultivate a good relationship yeah so one of my last questions is about Patrick Lencioni. So he talks about the fear of conflict as being one of like the dysfunctions of a team. But I think you've briefly mentioned it that, you know, is it good to avoid conflict? Is it not good? Well, here's the thing. There's a difference between trust and psychological safety. Mm-hmm. And the thing about trust is it can be superficial in that you, you don't want to say something at a meeting. You don't want to say what you really think for fear that you will be disliked. In fact, I had that experience yesterday. We had an end-of-year conversation. I, I'm, uh, I'm the outgoing president of professional speakers for this year. And all the presidents were uh, summing up. We had a four-minute sum-up of what we did this year. And I noticed the two presidents before me it was two lots of four-minute good news stories. And I went, uh-uh. I'm going to tell them the truth. I'm going to say we did this, we did this, and I did this. But remember, this is COVID year. Yeah. It was a difficult year. And I, I, I decided, and this actually goes against my personal grain because being a high I in DISC influencing, I usually seek people's approval and I don't like to be disliked. But I've just learned that it's important to tell the truth, more important to tell the truth than to be liked or to be approved. And I decided to, to state what I thought was a home truth. And guess what? When we did a process at the end of the day, we had to talk about what's working, uh, what would you like to see, what's not working, and what would you like to see happen differently. The ripple effect meant that what because I told the truth, it was, and this was all uh, done as an anonymous Google Doc. That was fabulous. Yeah. We all had anonymous names, anonymous squirrel, anonymous crow. It was fabulous. Whoever set up the Google Doc meant that we could say what we think and no one knew what it was. And then we could vote on our top three or our top five priorities. That was such a superb exercise. And I could see the ripple effect of what my home truth had been appeared, not in what I wrote, but what other people wrote. I went, well, that's good because we needed to address a negative. And look, with any team, it's always constant correction. It's not perfect all the time. And new issues uh, come up. So we have to deal with them as they come up. So it's about learning from your mistakes 
It's about reading the material. If you look up Project Aristotle in, uh, on, on Google, there's, uh, there's articles on it. And I just uh, am a great believer in, um, in just keep inputting. Start listening to other podcasts on leadership and management and just get smart, just get smarter. Um, so, yeah, thank you, Nina. That's all for today. Um, unless you had anything else to add um, about psychological safety, I know I've learned a lot. <laughs> well, I usually build uh, this topic into an, another overarching topic that I call the eight good behaviours of a manager because that particular title of a, of a workshop uh, gives people the opportunity to focus on what are the good behaviours but at the same time the uh, the flip side is what are the poor behaviours that we need to avoid. Uh, one of the companies that I've uh, worked with that I believe expresses best practice and is has won awards for being an employer of choice. I did a, a productivity session with them and one of the managers in one of the breaks was talking about, oh, you know, all the managers have to fit in, we all have to fit in all our one-on-ones every month and, uh, in fact, we try and do it every fortnight. I said, oh, how many individual contributors do you look after? And he said, oh, about... Um, I've got about 15 and I said, well, I have, I have to try and fit in one one-on-one uh, appointment every two weeks. So uh, I find that that is, that is my true job, but I find, do find that the, uh, the, the results in terms of effectiveness does speak for itself. So um, companies are doing it. The world is moving slowly towards a better best practice. And uh, let, let's, if you can be part of the solution rather than part of the problem, it creates a wonderful ripple effect. Yes, I definitely agree with that. <laughs> Thanks for uh, your insightful questions today, Pip. And uh, it was fun talking with you. Yeah, thank you so much, Nina. And thank you, everyone, for listening to Manage Self and Lead Others. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.